Hey everyone, this is Jesse, George, and Robert, and this is BitBytes, an analytical discussion about gaming. Thanks for joining us. For this particular episode, we're going to explore something that I am uh, feeling as of late very passionate, a little bit of renewed fire for. I've been playing a game that a lot of people have been waiting for for a little while now. It took them only like close to six years before they came out with a new one. I'm talking about Borderlands, Gearbox Software. I've been playing the newest iteration, Borderlands 3, which came out very recently. I found that there's a lot of stuff to love about the game, and then there's a lot of stuff that's... It's a weird feeling. It's... They did everything that I wanted them to do with the game. But at the same time, when you play the game, you feel like there's something missing. And so the problem that a lot of people are, are stating is that it's they didn't really take the next kind of evolutionary step in the, the game. Because Borderlands kind of basically defined the looter-shooter genre. They were the first people to kind of infuse a RPGs like skill trees and that stuff inside of a first-person shooter. So in the traditional sense of an RPG, you have all this loot that you get and stuff like that. Some are better than others. And you slowly upgrade your character over time to become this like mega, you know, super badass, you know, warrior at the end of the game. Yeah. Same thing with this. It's just in a first-person shooter lens. And so the problem with Borderlands 3, a lot of people were finding is... It's like it never missed a beat. It's like you, Borderlands 2 coming into Borderlands 3, you know, it's the same. You got, they just took it to another level. It's like you have a bazillion guns that you loot from all these enemies that you go and shoot. You go from this destination to this destination to go kill, you know, this person or help, you know, this crazy guy, you know, destroy this person's fortress and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they did fix the I guess the gripes that people had with the second one just in terms of some of the gameplay things that were a little bit frustrating especially after you had played it for a little while so they improved upon those so it's just a more kind of a better oiled machine at this point that's not to say that like the writing and stuff for a lot of the side quests and and that sort of stuff is still very I think it's still very clever it's still very funny I will say that the main villain or like your 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 main cause for you know going out and doing everything that you're doing who you're up against is kind of a very kind of generic y not a whole lot of depth to their you know characters and you know you don't know who they are really or why they're you know really trying to do what they're doing and it's a kind of big shoes to fill from the previous villain that they had. And he's like, you you killed him in the second one. And so it's like, he can't really come back. I mean, he can, but uh, fans would probably frown upon, you know. Like if they killed the emperor in episode five, and then what do you do in episode six? Right, exactly. Yeah. That being said, it's still a beautiful game. The art style is just like, it's that extra next level. It's like textures and everything just pop off the screen and it's still a lot of fun. They improved some of the aspects of multiplayer and stuff and playing with your friends. No matter what way you look at it, it's still a very good, solid game. That being said, because it's been so long 
and they've had other side iterations of you know these games it would have been nice to have seen like don't give me the same thing better yes but don't stop there so it, it does feel and unfortunately when you have a track record of you know three four games you know having the same thing over and over it's just like okay we've we've already done this you know so let me get this straight convert it into terms i know uh don't give me new super mario bros wii u gold edition luigi's turn give me <laughs> already play that game give me give me mario 3d world or mario yes. galaxy yes is that yes, what you're yes, saying yes 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 yeah okay yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so is it similar in the way of the mario metaphor where it's still a good game oh yeah absolutely you're enjoying it absolutely you just wanted it to be that little a little different. Do yeah. a sidestep instead of like a just jumping, lunging forward right. type thing. Well, it's like you said, like when the first Borderlands came out, they were innovating the FPS market, mm-hmm. um, the genre. They're doing new things. You, In addition to no, just being innovative with gameplay, it's like they were funny. You had a good, solid setting, good writing, mm-hmm. fun characters. Like you had a whole package. So now now it's like, okay, we've done that. We've done that. We've been there. Now the market's really saturated with other stuff yep. that's similar. Uh, what is making this one special? Why, other than just my um, attachment to this brand, yep. what's making me come play your game versus right. some other clever shooter? It's a tough question. Yeah. So it's definitely a mixed bag. Like oh, everything yeah. you just shared is like, well, it's good, but it's not. It's good, but it's not. So if you had to summarize it all in this way where like, you know me. Presumably, you care about me a little bit, just enough to like be like my time is sure. has some value to it. Would you recommend it to me? Be like, hey, you should at least check this out. It's worth investing in. Did you play the previous Borderlands games? I've played Borderlands two, yes, and yeah. I enjoyed it. It was yeah. fun. Now, it depends on how much. I think it comes down to how much you love the Borderlands formula and how much you love just the the Borderlands games themselves. To encourage you to buy this one because um, if you're like oh yeah it's a fun game but you know it's not one of those things i could see myself replaying or you know that sort of stuff then it may not be you know something that you want to do because you've essentially with this one you've basically already played it gotcha so it's almost like a new game plus of borderlands 2 yeah in a way. it's like a borderlands 2.5 for, for Ooh, that's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it depends on where you are in life, how much money you have, how much time you have. But, like, I know me, I got, like, four games on my roster to play still. <laughs> I'm, bare, I'm, like, slowly making my way through them. So, you know, every game counts now yeah. at this time in my life. So I really have to be picky about what I pick. So it's like, okay, Borderlands 3, wow me. Get on my roster. <laughs> and I think the the other thing too is they took so long to come out with a proper sequel that it's like, okay, you had all this other time, mm-hmm. you know, that I feel like could have put a little bit more into it. Mm-hmm. All this to say that this kind of lack of pushing kind of the bar forward in terms of, you know, developing fresh new ways with what we constantly experience over and over again. But this game, Borderlands 3, and then, you know, some reviews I've seen about some other games recently in the first-person genre is there's this kind of sameness that's happening over and over again, especially in the uh, the the large game studio, the AAA sphere. It's like, well, indies can't afford to be that, right? Right. They can't 
they have if they want to sell they have to be innovative and creative and and push the bar right um or else they're not going to sell and then probably they sunk a bunch of money and time into something that ended exactly. up not being worth it so yeah it's it's almost like triple a's are like oh, we can afford to do that people will buy it because we have brand re- name recognition yeah it's unfortunate do you feel like there's a almost opposite philosophy where the bi- the studios with the big budgets that have stockholders and stuff they're trying to do something that's worked in the past because it seems like a low risk business oh, yeah. they they know they're going to get their return it's the same like with disney and they're all all their live action remakes they know yeah. they're going to get disney fans and their families and kids in the seats because it's a known entity but you're like oh maybe there's a few things in there that was interesting and new but overall it's like eh, did i just waste 2 hours of my life and 20 dollars yeah so I think they're in in my humble opinion, mm-hmm. I think they're unnecessary. It's like we're getting the same thing. We are, we already have it. Mm-hmm. Why are we getting just a fresh coat of paint mm-hmm. essentially on the stuff that we already have? Would you summarize Borderlands that way? Borderlands three compared to the the previous entries? Well, I'm actually going to quote a review. Ooh, okay. uh, Kotaku's review of Borderlands 3, just kind of the first paragraph or so sums it up. They say, take a bag of potato chips, any brand, anywhere, and you know more or less know what you're going to get. Crispy, greasy salt and oil delivered via thin layers of starch. They make a mess of crumbles and grease, and they're terribly delicious. So how would you review one? Do you tell people chips are awful for their health and break down why? Do you get into their ethical practices of various potato chip companies, perhaps? Or do you go all in uh, in the other end of the spectrum, singing the praises of the perfect snack food, one that isn't as impressive as other snack foods, but also isn't trying to be gourmet cuisine? Borderlands 3's return to their most uh, popular franchise is a bag of potato chips. That doesn't sound like a compliment. No. Yeah, it sounds it's kind of falls in line with your sameness, right? Yeah. It's like no matter potato chips a chip. That doesn't mean you hate it. No. It's just like what they're it, delicious. What's better to be like eh, or to f- passionately feel one way or the other. And I guess that's just it's just disappointing because after six years from a solid franchise, it's like you sort of expect that out of other franchises where they release a game every two years and it's like that's not enough time to get a quality. Yeah game it's like oh so we've been waiting six years some good some good games in there um from the past from them in the past and it's just it's a it's a letdown yeah to that point we waited so long and then we kind of got this slew of marketing materials and hype and it seemed to indicate that the promise was going to be fulfilled of like yeah it's borderlands 3 it's similar but like look at all this new stuff well you just set me up to be disappointed but I also would argue too, it's like on what, depending on who you ask, on what level do you, do you say that, oh, they didn't innovate or, you know, push the bar enough because there is a lot of stuff in there from the second one that they've kind of, they've taken to that next level or they've, you know, changed enough to where it still feels like borderlands. But at the same time, it's kind of a hard line to, you know, define anyway. <laughs> I'm sure like... I would be a total hypocrite if it was like after five years, new Zelda game. It wasn't really anything much different. I'd probably still say, oh, it's great. I love it. Zelda, yeah. yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Well, that's funny though because for that same exact reason, I know I know that you were super hyped about Borderlands Three. I know you really love the second one. We talked about it a lot. You would like go back and play it uh, well after it had been out for a long time and mm-hmm. still enjoy it. So in that way, it's like you were almost primed to have that fan response and just like be a little bit more forgiving of if they do something that's tried and true and just be okay with it. But it sounds like they, even if that was the target, they still missed that target. Maybe not by a long shot, yeah. but obviously yeah. you're not super pleased. We have high expectations here at BitBytes. We want to be wowed. Yeah, wow me. <laughs> All that to say, it's still a very fun game. They fixed all the things that were like little gripes about the second one, so it's a much smoother experience. Guns are super fun. Uh, they've you know created new styles of guns and all that kind of stuff, just taking it to that next level, and they're you know a lot of fun. And personally, I'm excited for a bunch of the new cosplay. Oh yeah! After every Borderlands game, you always get fun cosplay of people doing fun makeup to get to match that style. Yeah. All that being said. When I went to Kotaku after playing Borderlands 3, I see this new Tom Clancy game that's, you know, come out, Ghost Recon Breakpoint. And in big, like, bold letters in the <laughs> the caption is, Breakpoint is an infuriating mess. Uh-oh, I guess Borderlands is not the only one mm-hmm. who's failed recently. <sighs> so what's up with that? What happened? The difference between Breakpoint and, you know, Borderlands 3 is... Breakpoint isn't, I mean, yes, it is a sameness type thing, but it's more of there's too much going on to try and, you know, fuse together well, and it just becomes kind of a a steaming pile of poo in this person's eyes. I don't know anything about this game. Can you give me a breakdown, publisher? What's it like? The one before this was Wildlands? Yes. Yeah. It's like a somewhat futuristic third-person first-person shooter. Where you have you can give orders, you have like a squad and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. You can give orders and that sort of stuff, but it's also your it's a RPG esque mm. instead of uh, a giant sword, you have a big gun, right? Okay, but it's kind of, it's more somewhat grounded in you know today's reality of modern warfare. Oh, okay. Wildlands is was more of like an open world sandbox thing. You can go every, anywhere and do anything in this large you okay. know area. You have missions and that sort of stuff, and it's a looter shooter. You get better gear and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff as you go. Breakpoint was the next step in, in improving upon Wildlands. But according you know, to Kotaku and a couple other places that I've seen too, it's like there's too many, too many cooks in the kitchen, I think, is what it is. It's like there's a lot of design ideas, but they get poorly implemented. Oh, so they'd rather like throw a bunch at it, but they don't, instead of like focusing on one or two and doing it exceptionally well. Yeah. Oh. So it just, it becomes like a... a, Subpar. Yeah. It becomes kind of this, not not as uh, fun and rewarding as you would want it to be. I find that's a thing in a lot of games. Like, not not even exclusive to a first-person shooter, but it's like, in an effort, like, people expect bigger games now for what they're paying. Thanks a lot, Breath of the Wild. (laughs) (laughs) Freaking the worst. (laughs) Well, it's, that's actually a perfect example of like, it's like, why is a Zelda gone open world yet? It's like, okay, here's your open world. Like, it's, I feel like a lot of games I've been playing recently, like even Fire Emblem, I'm going to touch on this later, um, but Three Houses, it was sort of like emerging a persona in Fire Emblem. Like, they added this whole new system to the classic, you know, you just move battle to battle. Now it's like this whole social system in between it. 
Um, you get to go fishing. <laughs> oh, it's a Japanese game RPG. You have to go fishing. <laughs> it's course. like written into Japanese <laughs> law somewhere. That's required. <laughs> anyway, it's I find I found that in so many games recently that it's like it's the game is obviously from a specific genre, but it pulls in so many subsystems from others. It's sometimes it works, and sometimes I feel like it's filler. Um, it's like are you, are you just trying to create busy work for me to do? Because unless implemented well, that's boring <laughs> and if that busy work is tied to my leveling that's even worse because i can't even skip it have you found that to be the case too you guys so specifically with this game for with breakpoint mm-hmm. there's a one-to-one just glad you brought that up so they tried to implement a survival system it's one of the half-baked things that you mentioned where they have it's kind of like you, you camp out and you have the traditional couple parameters you have to babysit whatever and part of it is tied to what it would be similar to a buff system before going into a boss battle. So like Witcher 3, you get your different oils that are particular for the boss, so you have an advantage in battle. And it's sort of like a weird attempt at that because it's taking place in real life, so you can't do all the fan fantasy tropes to make it um, yeah. really work. Oh, you don't rub up with a bunch of different oils to get stat boosts during the day? <laughs> you guys don't do that? That's just me? Okay. You, you dip your bullets in <laughs> Yeah, and dirt. And <laughs> yeah. It's not so much that each one of them experienced on its own is an issue, but that when they're all put into the same kind of a giant sandbox and it's touting itself for the player's choice kind of thing where you get to play however you want to, but it's like really the systems kind of push you towards playing one of two ways. Yeah. And then why don't you just make the game a little bit more linear and force me to play that way and make that a little bit more versus frustrating the when, stuff that you're trying to introduce. When did yeah. linear become a bad word in gameplay? Linear became a bad word in gameplay. When Widespread people market. Everybody wants to play with everyone, and they want to do whatever they want in the games. And if you don't have that, you're not going to sell. And PlayStation's like, no, no, we're not going <laughs> to listen to that. <laughs> the idea of a big open world is like, oh, well, anything could happen. It's like, actually, anything can happen when the story unexpectedly left turns in a mm. linear game, right? That's almost like more quote-unquote emergent because you would never create that yourself even on accident it's like yeah some cra- and then it changes everything hey unless you want to talk more about this ghost recon that sounds like a great segue into this thing that george discovered on netflix Disclaimer. Dear listener, please be advised that the next 12 minutes of the show will be absolutely filled to the brim with completely plot-destroying spoilers that will ruin the show Seis Manos for you forever. If you would like to avoid these spoilers, please skip ahead to 29 minutes. So something that you thought would be samey and then all of a sudden pivoted yes. into something awesome? Hold on to your socks. So we're about to get blown off. There's a Netflix uh, show that recent, very recently came out. Uh, it's called Seis Manos. Seis Manos? It's a Mexican influence. Oh, I'm sorry. What is this word? Mex- Mexican anime is, is the very... The six anime? hands translated to American speak. 
Yes. What? Right? Did I translate that right? It's been a few years since. Do you, <laughs> you want to look up that translation? I'm going to be really embarrassed if it's not that. <laughs> yeah. this. I think there's only like 10, 12 episodes. There's not a whole lot of episodes. It's a very like, it is violent. It's, <laughs> they don't shy away from... It is correct. It is is the six hands. There you go. Six manos. I don't know what that exactly has to do with the show yet. Well, I thought you would know immediately. Are you not finished with the show? No, I finished the first season. They said that for a second. Is it like their technique? Now I'm curious. Why is it called that? I don't know. Okay, I'll stop interrupting you. You can talk about the show. It starts off as like what you would think of like a Japanese formulaic. You know, there's these kung fu martial artists. They work. They're at this dojo. There's the grandmaster, whatever the teacher, and that stuff. There's this poor little boy uh, who's like, "I want to become a kung fu master. Teach me your ways, great teacher." But in Mexico, so you take a little bit of like, there's a the main bad guy who's voiced by Danny Trejo is like this gang boss leader slash occult leader so it's like it has this weird culty type influence in there but he's also he's got everything that you would you would attribute to like a mob boss type character very bad very evil is very angry at the world Uh, (laughs) uh, but the way that the show starts is you know you're following this little boy who you know for all intensive purposes, you know, it's like, oh, this is the main character. You know, the show starts off with that. You follow him. Um, there's a lot of screen time with him. He goes, you know, he's running away from something. He's trying to make a better life for himself. Goes, finds this dojo where there's these three pupils and there's the, you know, wise old sage teacher. And he's like, I want to learn, you know, Kung Fu and all that stuff. Y'all are so cool, you know when you first are introduced to these three pupils, they're kind of, they don't seem to have like very interesting backstories and stuff like that. Cause there's no exposition given to them or anything like that. Uh, one of them is mute. Like he can't speak. The other one is kind of, you're like somewhat stereotypical, like the bigger dude. And he's like kind of the drunkard and, and that sort of stuff. And his moves reflect that and, and whatnot. And his fighting style and his pers- personality and whatnot is this kind of brash, uh, figure and then there's the girl who's like trying to do the right thing is kind of like the unspoken leader of the group Where's and that sort of stuff. Club? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So you think it's formulaic or at first? Right. At yeah. first. So within the second episode, that little boy dies. Spoiler alert. Whoa. We should probably uh do it well. Okay. So yes. So it's it's kind of the Game of Thrones style where you think uh, characters are important. <laughs> and they just, die. <laughs> you can't help but spoil. <laughs> the little boy is Ned Stark. <laughs> is that cryptic enough? Yeah, this kid was going to go learn Kung Fu and stuff. And then he's gone because that psycho killer guy kills him. Um, and ends up severely wounding the uh, wise old sage and he ends up dying well you got to kill off the mentor that's part of the hero's journey yeah but it's like it's so quick the hero dying oh yeah yeah so the wise old sage dies you learn some interesting backstory about the wise old sage 
that is cause for why that creature is going to attack him. And then, so yeah, these three pupils who were being taught and learning from this master, they don't have a master anymore. They're like, what the hell happened? Why was, why was this creature after, you know, our teacher and stuff like that. And that's kind of like the justification of, you know, the plot of going forward, trying to figure out what the hell happened. There's uh, some other characters that are involved in another part of the realm of this world. There's like a police officer and this guy who's like ex-military, but he's working for like the U.S. government or whatever. Uh, in Mexico, you don't know at the time why he's there. You just know that those are parts of his, you know, his character. He gets tangled up with this police officer. They have their own thing that they're doing. Um, but their paths cross with the trio of Kung Fu fighters. You start to learn backstory of... Go ahead. Six hands. I get it now. Three fighters, six Oh, hands. yeah. They, there you go. Maybe that's... Yeah. Sorry. That's the only thing I wanted to know in this <laughs> Go. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah. The, the plot continues to enlarge. It's like you don't know how these creatures are becoming how they're becoming because they're like drinking this thing and then that and then there's the the mother of the main bad guy apparently her like uh blood or whatever has this unique property that when given to people it become they become like these superhuman you know like creatures or whatever there's a whole backstory there that i won't get into like a whole lot of detail but she's not entirely human and all that kind of stuff and like the rituals and stuff are kind of draw from kind of old, what I would assume to be like South American, like folklore and legends and that sort of stuff. And ritualistic, you know, type stuff is where that part, you know, draws from everything takes place in like a deserty, you know, type economy and all that kind of stuff. And that would be kind of attributed to South America and that sort of stuff. As this, as, you know, as the show progresses and stuff, you think it's about to go in this like one particular direction because that's like what every you know movie and TV show goes, and then it like makes a hard left turn, and then it just like it introduces all these other twists to the story and to the characters that you didn't know before, um, and it becomes this much more dynamic and interesting story. Okay, so to to summarize, you're watching this show. And you almost disengage with it because you're like, I've seen this before. Yeah. I'm not interested in seeing it for like the 50th time. Yeah. But then you stuck around just long enough to be like, wait. Just long enough, meaning the second episode. Yeah. Where they kill off the supposed Well, because I'll tell you, like the first episode, it's kind of like that kind of bland, like, oh my gosh, why am I watching this kind of thing? And then it's like, oh, okay. Then it hooks you. So are you kind of in it for the long haul now that you realize oh, that yeah. they're doing some new stuff? Yeah, because the, the last episode sets it up for a second season and all that kind of stuff. Cool. So this is interesting timing because you were... Did you start watching this while you were playing Borderlands 3 or after you finished? Well, I haven't finished Borderlands 3 just yet. I'm like towards the very, very end of the, the main campaign. And so it sounds like you're kind of getting, at least just in terms of like pure story elements, you're getting satiation from the show where you were kind of disappointed with Borderlands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, obviously it's a different medium, but if you were to map this kind of more fulfilling in like trying to do new things, even if it doesn't work, if you were to map that onto Borderlands 3, do you have an idea of what that might look like? If anybody here has either watched 
read or heard anything about Attack on Titan, specifically more so just the first season where these things are happening. You have these new things that happen that kind of enlarge the, the story. They don't get explained, but new things start happening that kind of enlarge the scope and scale of what's going on in this world. They mystery box the heck out of you. In right. The show. It's a similar thing to what happens here is like there's certain things that happen that kind of, you know, enlarge the scale of the story without fully explaining everything just yet. So I mean, it sounds like in games you want not just the story to take a hard left turn and surprise you, but same thing with gameplay too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, it, you, maybe, you like maybe it would be, it's like, I don't know if you'd necessarily have to do this, but, you know, the first half or, you know, third of the game, you play it this way and then all of a sudden this happens and you're doing, you've got this new stuff introduced, which games do that, you know, to an extent, you know, you, your world opens up and you've got all this other stuff going on and, and whatnot, but. It's like, oh, look, I got more guns. What a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's the solution, but, you know. Yeah, you were floating a different idea a little bit earlier where you're talking more about like the structure of these big companies, these big developers, and maybe they could try some different things to solve potentially multiple facets of like what's problematic with Borderlands 3. It's like, I want to hear more detail about it because it was kind of like an interesting idea. In this whole spirit of being dis somewhat disappointed with you know, new larger games that you've waited a long time for and seeing other mediums, uh, entertainment mediums, using the same thing that we have, but doing things, you know, slightly different that, you know, presents itself in a new and fresh and engaging way and not fresh just for the sake of being fresh. That's not, you know, controlled or, you know, polished or flushed out. It'd be nice if AAA studios, in a sense, somewhat pumped the brakes on their bigger games and fueled money and resources into, you know, something small at first that could, you know, they, they could ultimately end up growing and cultivating, which I mean, I guess the kind of closest sort of thing that we have right now to that is Microsoft fueling money into all of these studios that are, you know, their own right now. Obviously there's no games that have been released yet. So you can't really tell, you know, if that's a, We'll healthy see. model we'll see if that pans out i will say a success story that followed that model and it's not like microsoft or sony yeah. dictated it but i guess sony allowed it but one of my faves horizon zero dawn that was like the product of guerrilla games halting their many year i don't know if decade is accurate but many year long um triple a game that's I want to Google right now. Is it Killzone? Killzone series that became samey, had the exact same problem, and people inside Grilla Games were like, we want to try something new. They completely hopped genres. I think while they were still developing a Killzone game, um, they just sort of put a smaller internal team aside, and they got the green light and some money to go forward with this from Sony. And it was a resounding success where they're now like doubling size in order to to Bruce, what I'm assuming is Horizon Zero Dawn 2. Um, so I, I definitely think we s that is a good, very good thing for AAA studios to do. And we've seen the success of that. So maybe there'll be some disappointment and more uncertainty from not having a sure thing. But instead of like your two for sure series, you could have ten for sure series. Like yeah. 
I don't know. I think the pros definitely outweigh the the potential losses, potential cons. Well, that's the thing is like I th- think it would be very easy because it would start as a very small thing so that, you know, you're not putting all of these tremendous resources into, you know, this thing until it actually develops into, you know, yeah. something that's, you know. And what's the worst that happens? Okay. Right. They put a pause on Assassin's Creed. I'm just like picking Assassin's Creed as a thing. And then to develop something else, Ubisoft. And then maybe their new thing didn't pan out. Okay, so they lost some money there on a small thing they invested in. And then, what, you're six or seven years down the road, and you then you reintroduce Assassin's Creed? It's going to feel fresh and new and exciting anyway. You're going to get that same hype that Borderlands 3 just got from not having been released recently. So um, either way, I think you get a win out of it. But I would also you know, maybe argue that perhaps Sony is more inclined to allow for those kinds of things to take place, at least right now. Yeah, I, we were talking about linear being a dirty word earlier, but like that's sort of Sony's bread and butter. They that's how they separate themselves from Xbox by trying to get the really unique single player experience that's ex- console exclusive to them. Um so they more reason to invest in games like that. But who's to say that it couldn't be some, you know, multiplayer all-inclusive type thing sort from of Ubisoft or Microsoft or whatever. All the softs. <laughs> all the softs. Well, that's sort of the point I was going to lead in with. Like, I, I was trying to think of some counterpoints to, like, the a bunch of AAA games are, you know, sort of feeling samey and stale recently. And I was I was trying to think about, like, think of a list of games where that fit in my mind. And I was thinking most of my own examples, in addition to what we just talked about, they seem to come from first-person player games um, almost <laughs> exclusively. If you have other game series that aren't first-person shooters, FPS games that do seem to have the syndrome of sameness, let me know. But everything I was thinking about came down to that. And to me, I think that's because it's sort of you were alluding to earlier, George, about at the end of the day, it's a shooter game. Like, how are you going to make that innovative? And people do occasionally um over a few years do come up with something new i think doom's a good example mm-hmm. but and i was thinking most recently like the um, battle royale series like that's something that sort of sprang up like as a new and innovative thing tech sort of allowed it with internet speeds and all that recently in servers but once that was introduced then everybody's doing it now yeah. so and then what happens after like three years of everyone doing it samey like i feel like the only way you, that genre is so easy to fall into this this pattern of sameness. What's well, the trend in the entertainment industry is somebody does something that's super fresh, innovating, and it kind of sets the pace for everything else that, you know, tries to either do it better or do it slightly differently or, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Some succeed, some, you know, don't always succeed. I, I think because first-person shooter, they are more focused on gameplay and, like, this the setting around it. And story is less of a. Yeah. That's where the, the setting of story is probably the easiest place to make it feel different, and that's what the first few Borderlands I think did exceptionally well. So, when you don't have that, it's even more apparent. I was like, wow, I feel like this is nothing new. Why am I buying yeah. Call of Duty Eleven? <laughs> like, what's right. different about it? You see this so easily in, in Fortnite, for example. Like, they don't even like 
try. It, it's sort of every season. It's like, okay, new skins, new setting, new play area. Here's some new costumes. Until recently, the last few seasons, they've done some, they've implemented some new gameplay type stuff yeah, that's kind of changed up. The well, It's like, what season are they on? Yeah. Really, really deep in. It's yeah. like, oh, shit. We gotta, we gotta start thinking of something to keep yeah. this fresh and keep those young kids playing in schools. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I mean, to me, that's that's why you you find this more with first person shooters mm-hmm. than any other game genre. Um, feel free to prove me wrong, or if you feel differently in another genre, you've made <laughs> racing is something similar. Sports, sports games. It's like the core gameplay you can't really mess with much. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I see that being an issue primarily when it's a game that is first-person shooter first in terms of genre, Mm -hmm. and first-person shooter is not just a part of the game. So, of course, I'm going to go back to the things I talk about all the time. You mentioned Doom. For obvious reasons, I don't need to go down that uh, rabbit hole, but uh, I think Bioshock, even though it's very old now, it has first-person shooter elements, but it's not a first-person shooter game. Definitely mm-hmm. not. You have a bunch of different guns and you do a lot of shooting, mm-hmm. but it's really more of a strategy game and it's definitely more like predominantly it's a survival game because you have very limited resources and you have to be clever with those and use them in the interact with the environment with like, you know, these elemental powers and hack things and all this kind of stuff because you're, you're very vulnerable. I think the, the sameness for a lot of first-person shooters, whether it's like across the same series or if we're just looking at like trends in the past couple decades, I, I feel like a lot of it comes from the fact that you're too powerful in a way. Like even though I love Halo, even though I was really into like some of the earlier like Call of Duty games, they try to freshen it up by like, oh, you can do like extended wall running and you can, you have like a hook shot now. But it's like that kind of just makes you more superhuman, but in just a different way. And it feels a bit gimmicky and it gets it has like a limited shelf life in terms of how new it feels. Mm. And then they have to constantly be like turning this stuff over versus like going all the way down to the fundamentals and doing something like Bioshock and trying to kind of like do genre flipping or blending and or like change the approach to the way that the player interacts with the game. Because I think that's the main thing where it you can do it an infinite number of ways. But like when you go into a game and you don't know exactly what to do right from the beginning to be successful and you have to think about what you're doing before you engage, that's kind of the success of not falling into the Borderlands 3 trap. I think genre blending is the magic phrase here. Because right at the start of talking about Borderlands, what made it great was blending the RPG skill tree elements. Um, It's like, okay, how can you make this more than a first-person shooter? Because there's a million first-person shooters out there. I wouldn't say that it's a great example, but it's like it's an example of like a B-level game. Uh, There's a newer game that's come out called Remnant from the Ashes. Have you played it? I have. I, I own it actually. Do you like it? Yeah, it's pretty fun. Tell me about it. It's the kind it's taking the Dark Soulsy from software approach of like hard, kind of sluggish ish combat. Kind of a more realistic, I guess, approach to combat. Bosses that either have like a lot of health or have unpredictable moves or, you know, do a lot of damage. And taking kind of a I don't know if it's like is a genre, but it's taking kind of like the 
procedural generated idea into it so that basically the game that you get is it's a y'all know bloodborne yeah i know bloodborne do you bloodborne at all (laughs) (laughs) so stay away it's 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 a game from software that was kind of i think it was after the first or second dark souls that they made Mm. it's still basically dark souls except they introduced like guns and that sort of stuff into Mm. it and so it's a playstation exclusive that's why it should matter to you (laughs) it is very much so it's like it's very iconic because of you know the dark fantasy elements and that sort of stuff but anyway but with guns but with guns and swords and stuff. It's just, it kind of expounded upon like the traditional Dark Souls formula in a way that wouldn't be, they would be new and stuff and they wouldn't have to worry about previous fan base and all that kind of stuff. And anyway, they're, they're put, they're putting in like the Dark Souls elements and stuff like that, where it's difficult and you know that, but then they're also taking the formulas that you see in some, you know, kind of indie dungeon crawlers and stuff where they have like procedurally generated, levels and stuff so every time you go and play it it's not the same thing and stuff i mean it is the same but it's rearranged and all that kind of stuff and you know allows for you don't play it the same way twice uh it's kind of the same thing with the remnant when you play the campaign you get to a certain point and it's like okay you know basically beating the game uh you have the option uh, to what's called reroll campaign you keep your level your you know abilities and stuff that you've earned the enemies, from what I remember, get harder. Uh, there's opportunity to get new loot and everything from the enemies that you fight, and there's newer, different enemies that you fight, uh, sometimes not in the same places and stuff like that. So map-wise, it's different, but like enemies and encounters and that stuff get changed when you you know go and reroll. There's opportunities you know to you know fight stuff and then you know, get items that you may not have gotten before in the first time through. So you you bring up this game because it's doing Souls formula, but it's introducing like a couple different existing elements. It's yeah. like it's totally new, but it mixes it it's up enough. Mixing to them together, yeah. Yeah. That's and cool. I mean, it's not like, it's not a AAA level type game where it's like, you know, super, super polished and it's got a lot of depth and detail to it. It's, uh, it's still, when you play it, it's kind of, it feels a little empty when playing it. Um, but it is kind of this fresher approach to playing those kinds of games. Interesting. Well, I, that probably is a great lead into other games where I've I've listed a few as like, and of course they're not first person shooters, but they're games that I found recently that I've been playing that um, or I've heard of that sort of do something similar. They keep it fresh. So Robert and I have been playing Astral Chain <laughs> on the Switch. Highly recommend. So good. Highly recommend. So good. It's a platinum game. Uh, it's it's very anime and very Japanese, but it's it's one of those. It's sort of like you were talking about this Netflix show. You think they're gonna go a direction a bit, and in a very Japanese way, it's <laughs> like overdramatize a bunch of stuff, and <laughs> it's almost sometimes feel like I'm watching an anime, and like the amount of like slow-mos or the way they pose your character and yeah, what you're yeah. fighting like yeah. it's like am i watching a show or playing a game um, which is entertaining in its own way right? yeah, yeah 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 so i get like the similar aspects of uh, what do you even call this type of game an action uh, action anime action anime i don't know but yeah but it has a different visual feel to it but i felt like with the gameplay 
it was really refreshing. Um, yes. I haven't played a game. I, I try to wrap my brain to think of another game like this, but uh, it's like Pokemon on steroids. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't. In the best way. In the best way. Like, <laughs> Do you want to break that down maybe a little bit? Um, yeah. So essentially, instead of you, like, let's say in a Bayonetta or a Nier Automata way, um, like you're the fighter, like you are fighting, but you have a partner that you're chained to, um, your Pokemon astral chain. essentially. Yeah. With an astral chain. Um, so it's really interesting at first, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but it's worth getting over it. Start casual, then switch to platinum mode people. Um, <laughs> pro tip. <laughs> pro tip. So it's, it's learning how to fight in tandem. Like you're directing your partner to fight while you're fighting. Mm. And then in moments, Sometimes you focus on you, but there's a lot of moments where, like, you want to do combos in a way that you direct them and yourself to act in a way to get, like, these perfectly awesome anime-looking combos. Um, oh, so satisfying. <laughs> it's oh, man. satisfying. Uh, so it, it, they basically make you feel awesome. They make you feel like a badass playing. And sometimes you're worthy of that. Sometimes you're not. But I like that. It makes me feel worthy of that title. Uh <laughs> So, basically, it was just something fresh, something I haven't hadn't really experienced in a video game <coughs> at all, ever. And I recommend it, so. Have you played Knights of the Old Republic? No. You played Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, I played it. Would you say it's kind of a, not so much a turn-based type thing, but it's kind of a similar bout where you can instruct your other player, you know, your team that's with you to perform and... You can choose to play in real time or kind of a t more turn-based type thing where you can perform in a way where you can you know do different combos or attacks and that sort of stuff. But um, it actually doesn't really have a squad feel to it. It's almost like the they're called chimeras, the things that are chained to you, the Pokemon equivalent. They're so closely tied to what you're doing. It feels it. It's kind of cheesy, but it feels like an extension of yourself. And mm. so Dos manos. Yes. <laughs> um, and in that way, so you're not, it's all real time. It's very fast paced. So you're reacting to things really quickly and you're, you're kind of like monitoring them, controlling yourself. Um, it is, it's very unique. It's different. I don't, I haven't experienced anything like it. So the reason I say start casual is because this was a very new feeling. Like it isn't like, Oh, I can let them do their thing while I do my thing. No, yeah. you want to be monitoring them always and directing them always. But it's not overwhelming. It's like once well, you get a hold once of it, once you get a hold of it. So I would say like maybe two files or they call files or chapters, levels, whatever. And then try to, once you're comfortable with it, switch it up. That's good advice. To platinum mode. You would be into it, George. Yeah. Uh, I, I have no it. doubt that I'd be into it. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm biding my time waiting for me to be Whoever able to acquire this first, game. We'll just give you our little cartridge. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was refreshing. And, you know, it's Nintendo-sponsored. Uh, Platinum's under Nintendo, right? So that's Nintendo always bringing us the good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned this earlier, but Fire Emblem Three Houses, I was... I was disappointed with the last game, the, um, the Fire Emblem, the Fates, because I feel, I think it was like I was satisfied with gameplay, but the story was boring, and basically they were doing the same things that Borderland 3 did. I was happy. I was ha satisfied with it, but... Wanted uh, more. Wanted more. So much more. Well, guess what? Three houses delivered. Oh. So um, they sort of completely added this whole new 
structure to it with like a very persona like social system like you you level yourself and your team by doing certain social things in a calendar yeah. like you have it's basically the timeline goes through like ca- on a calendar year so every month you know there's certain things you can do hmm. to raise your stats like have tea with your assassin yeah like have tea with your assassin <laughs> Is that a real thing? Why is that another thing? Yeah, like what? tea time. Tea time, yeah. You can increase your charm stats at tea time. That's it's great. so good, no. right? It's really harsh, too. My friend Jennifer is like, oh, my God, tea time is the most stressful part of the game. <laughs> because, like, there's four questions and you better answer them correctly or Uh-oh. else you, your stats don't increase as much. Or your, like, relationship oh, with that no. person. And that affects gameplay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm like, oh, my. It's like Googling Wikipedia. Like, what's the correct answer to what his favorite oh, yeah. pastime is? Like, <laughs> Remember all of you. Too what many. type of tea do you like? Fruit, <laughs> fruitier. <laughs> That's yeah, great. And, yeah. Um, but no, it's like it's fun and refreshing and different. And yeah, this is definitely uh, one of my favorite Fire Emblem games. So it, it definitely has. What does Three Houses have to do with it? <laughs> it's like what does Six Hands have to do with the show? Three ha- There's three houses, um, like student classes. Essentially, okay. you can, you pick gotcha. the house. It's like like dynasties yeah it's like you pick your 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 house gotcha okay but secret pro tip there's actually four routes Mm. wait a minute Uh, three and a half houses three and a half houses um so i that it was a way a long-running series they they refreshed it by genre blending Mm. so uh, I haven't played this last one I put on my list, Concrete Genie. Have you guys heard of it? Is it even out yet? Uh, a bunch of reviews are dropping, so I'm not uh. sure if it's out yet. Or no, what is this? I think it's one of those pur- purify the town, the area you're in with the magic of painting. Uh, <laughs> I love the way they animated their faces. Yeah. They, so cool. They do a very, they're trying to like do that faux stop motion mm-hmm. look about it. Um, which is smart for I don't know if this seems more indie gameish. I don't. I'll have to look up the. Um, that was my initial impression when I first yeah uh, saw the trailer. Yeah, the makers behind this, but uh, it's sort of smart to go very stylistic when you don't have AAA budget. <laughs> but yeah, it's like you design the characters that you are painting on the wall, and like you see them come to life and help spread light throughout your town and run away from bullies. <laughs> Oh, this is so cool. Yeah, so uh, I, when I saw a trailer for this and saw a bunch of reviews coming out for it recently, I'm like, well, that's fresh. That's something different. I will say, uh, reading some of the comments mm. <laughs> on this trailer, mm. um, the uh, was kind of split down the middle, the, kind of the reaction. Oh, yeah. It was like, some were like, yeah, I can't wait for this game. And the mm-hmm. other people were like, what the hell is this? But isn't even that in support of like... <laughs> But this is different and weird. Yeah, it was like, oh, I don't have any friends. Therefore, this game is teaching me to paint friends on a you know wall and have imaginary <laughs> people. It's not weird. That, that will uh, destroy all of my problems. <laughs> hey, have you tried? <laughs> yeah, so I just thought, like, this is something, like, they're obviously taking a very different story approach, and then that is just inherently tied into the gameplay, yeah. too, of, you know. It's very intriguing, I will say Here's that. a paintbrush. We'll take away the gun. <laughs> what do you call that genre? Yeah. It's, it's, it reminds me more of like the uh, Little Big Planet. Yeah, a little bit like that. 
Um, but it's like here, here's like the elements of it, and you can kind of create your own you mm-hmm. know, experience within this, you know, defined world. I haven't watched any gameplay of someone actually playing it, but um, it seems to me like it's going to be a sort of like you have to find your way in the nooks and crannies around the town, and like it's sort of it's like clean up the town by exploring all of it and along the way like to in order to get to certain places you probably have to use specific drawings on the wall and yeah that was probably heavy on puzzles (laughs) probably heavy on puzzles (laughs) one of the top comments was when you can't find any friends summon demons with black magic i mean that works (laughs) that works (laughs) so i'll probably check it out since i own a playstation there you go yeah that looks really fun (laughs) that was one of the kind of things i was like uh, another reason I can get a PlayStation. So yeah, there's definitely places to find games that don't feel stale and sameness. But hey, AAA shoot FPSs. Get on that. Be creative and different. Wow us. Make a left turn. So I kind of want to defend the doing things at work just a little bit. By example, so I completely agree with all the points we've been making up until now. I'm on board. I like new things. You know I like to play indie games for that reason. I have too many. But there's this really interesting, because it's recent too, it's relevant. So Ukulele is the reboot of Banjo-Kazooie, basically like a one-for-one. Instead of Banjo and Kazooie, it's Yuka and Laylee. It's the the yeah. world. It's the same game. It's the same game. And in all the good ways and the bad ways. I enjoyed it because it was a nostalgia trip, but it had its misgivings. And in a lot of ways, it was broken, whatever. <laughs> so they did that first installation of the series. And I was kind of under the impression, like, especially the way it was received, that that was going to kind of be the end of that. And they would, like, Platonic, which is the reboot of the Rareware subset that made this reboot, that they would kind of do something different. But they actually decided, like, we're going to stick with this IP. We're going to do one more thing. So instead of doing the 3D world collect-a-thon thing, they're like, okay, we're going to do same character, same world, really similar story, but we're going to do a completely different genre. So they've opted to switch over to 2D platformer. And it's very similar to, in so many ways, it's like an exact recreation of donkey kong country which is like an amazing game i love it a lot of people critically acclaimed it's a great game and i feel like it's really it's really interesting with that because they are the it's a lot of the same exact people who are recreating something that worked so well in the past and they're doing it again with the first installation and it sort of fell flat in some ways was successful in some ways but it was almost like one of the, the major gripes was we've been here before and I wish that it would have been a little more. But I feel like I hear that more when there's dissatisfaction with the execution of doing it again. Because if it, I feel like if it had been a little tighter, if they had spent a, another year in development and kind of done away with the things that were extraneous and tightened things up and made it a little bit more palatable, I think there would be less complaint of that kind where we get this new installation. It's kind of, it's getting a lot of uh, really great reception because they're doing Donkey Kong Country, but, and they're doing it to a T, but they're doing it really well. So you hear less of like, oh, it's like, it's the same thing, whatever. I'm so dissatisfied with this. Why didn't they mix it up? Because they pulled it off. 
it is tight it does feel good it like it has good like a challenge element is there and so i I, maybe it's like maybe doing the same isn't always bad if we're doing the same well i don't know it's almost like you can get away with borrowing really heavily if you execute on it with expertise i think there's a market for that and there always will be even if you're you're kind of rehashing so i don't know i just to say that like a studio wants to spend the time and money to properly (laughs) re-execute well i guess that's and then to your point like this is not a triple a studio i'm referring to right now so yeah i don't know i guess it like if you you're saying that is the case on like you could execute, it wouldn't feel samey if you executed perfectly on these shooters, even if you're doing the same thing. It's like, what, what are the chances of that actually happening? Not very high. Or maybe what will end up happening, depending on how the Microsoft model goes with these, you know, new studios that they scooped up. If that'll happen for more indie game studios that, or, you know, independent uh, studios that you know they have this idea and stuff but they really don't have the resources to and actually Epic Games is doing that right now they have a program where uh, if they essentially sign off on your you know concept and idea and all that kind of stuff they will fund essentially fund your your game with like a giant grant wow that's cool do you know of any projects that are in development no I just I saw the article of, uh, like a month ago so that's why I was Oh man, that's exciting. Yeah. That's actually kind of like a real take on what you're describing, right? Because mm-hmm. they, off the back of Fortnite, they're like, oh, let's do some cool new stuff. Yeah. Sweet. I feel really good. Like, I mean, we should just have a direct feed into the tr- all AAA studios, right? Because we're just a fountain. We just need to get on the board. Of IT. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you're <In> welcome. <laughs> we're just giving you free ideas. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's please. like. <laughs> At some point, don't know when, could be soon, could be a long time down the road, the pendum, pendulum, I hope, will swing the other way to where there's more fresh innovation versus just rehashing. And then I will play more first-person shooters that aren't just Star Wars-themed. <laughs> <laughs> so what, they don't have to be innovative if they play into your favorite IP? Exactly. Great. <laughs> Did I just say I was a massive bias, hypocrite? Bias, bias. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Hey, at least you're honest. So biggest takeaway is, come on, people, give us some more of the same but fresh. Keep keep what? Keep bending the rules, meshing things together. Genre blending. But polished, risks. polished, meshed things together, and the gaming community will be much happier for it. We speak for the entire community. Of course. Yes. When we say that. Yeah. We're representing the entire gaming community mm-hmm. when we say. Yeah. Inevitably, this will be a conversation that we come back to. And hopefully, in a year from now, we'll have different things to say about it. I'm not super confident in that. But, you know, we're seeing, like, these new programs being rolled out and a lot of smaller studios getting funding and stuff. So, hopefully, next time we talk about this at length, we'll have uh, some different things to talk about. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. See you next time.